Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. Produced by CosmicReality.com Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist. You can find me at thesuccessalchemist.net, on Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, on Twitter, at Coach Jan Shaw, on Truth Social, Success Alchemist, and on Telegram, US UK Patriot. Today is the 11th of March, 2023, and the title of today's show is... Trump at CPAC, COVID-19 exposure continues, and January 6th video released. Well, we've certainly had another action-packed week, I must say, with all sorts of truth being revealed. You know, it's becoming that D5 avalanche that Q spoke about so often. So, um, again, I'm going to be... <laughs> pushed to be able to fit everything in to this hour, but I will do my best. So before I get started on the recent news, I just want to make a couple of corrections to last week's radio show. The first thing is I, at the very end of the show, I talked about the Brunson case being reheard by the Supreme Court. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't actually check that before I announced it, and apologies for that. When I looked at the Supreme Court docket, there is no filing of a request for the case to be reheard. The only thing there is showing the February hearing where it was um, denied by the Supreme Court. So that's somewhat disappointing. And the other thing that I shared with you was this testimony in front of the Arizona Senate, I think it was, about the um, one of the cartels bribing many, many um, officials, including Katie Hobbs. And not only in Arizona, but in other states. Well, Brian Cates on his substack put out a challenge to as to whether this was actually true or not. He published this on March the 7th. Who sent serial fabulist John Thaler to Liz Harris? And as John Thaler's fantastic tale collapses, questions arising from the rubble. New Arizona State Representative Liz Harris is the new gal on the block. She just got there to the state legislature three months ago. She's still learning the ropes. She and several new members of the House and Senate that are fervent Donald J. Trump supporters who ran for office on America First platforms, such as State Senator Janet Shump and State Representative Rachel Jones, have hit the ground running as their legislative records attest. These new lawmakers have a very big top priority to get to the truth about what's been going on in their state's elections in some of the more corrupt Arizona counties. 
and it looks to me like somebody took advantage of their enthusiasm for getting to the bottom of all the election fraud going on in that state since 2018. Two weeks ago, I was invited on short notice to attend an important Arizona election integrity hearing at the state legislature in Phoenix, where a panel of lawmakers would view presentations from informative speakers on a variety of election fraud related issues. The Arizona state lawmakers who pushed to have that election integrity hearing appear to have been set up to be massively embarrassed by a deceitful lunatic named John Thaler. The hearing was going extremely well as presentations were made to the state legislator panel by speakers such as Captain Seth Keschel, Ivan Raiklin and John Mills until the last speaker appeared. As the room sat in often stunned and confused silence, Jacqueline Brazier, or Brega, stepped up to the podium and identified herself as the lead investigator of a team of crack professionals who'd supposedly done a three and a half to four years intensive white-collar crime investigation spanning over 19 states and how their investigation had led them directly to Arizona. But Breger went on to allege in a 40-minute presentation that this professional investigative team working out of Thaler's law office had conclusive documentary evidence based chiefly on a report from a handwriting expert that current Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs and Arizona State Attorney General Adrian Fontes were financial beneficiaries of forged real estate transactions. Breger released to the panel a list containing the names of dozens of state and local officials that supposedly are all being bribed via these fraudulent real estate deals. At first glance, the allegation certainly looked plausible until it was noticed how repeatedly Breger returned to two particular names, Brittany Ray Chavez and Dorna Chavez. As Breger unfolded the story, she ended up telling a tale in which these two women come across as virtual super spy criminals, able to hack into any court or state database and insert fake documents and remove real ones. Apparently, these women possessed powers beyond the ken of mortal man, which any spy agency would certainly be envious of being able to have. The impact of Breger's presentation was to suck all the oxygen out of the room so that by by the time she was done, nobody was ever going to remember anything any of the previous presenters had said. I've been wondering if this was by design. And he calls John Thaler a bullshit artist because apparently he claims to have had numerous attempts on his life, which is why his so-called lead investigator Jacqueline Breger was the one that presented it also turns out that she's Thaler's girlfriend. The people that were accused, the Chavezes, uh, were actually his own wife and mother-in-law and that the wife and he were involved in a very contentious divorce with a, um, a custody battle for, the, for their son. It's not the first time he claims to have unknowingly been married to some um, criminals and... The only way you can get to the evidence is if you buy his book. So after reading this, I'm inclined to go along with Brian Kate's assessment that, you know, this guy is a fraudster, basically. So that was just a quick summary of 
Brian Cates' article because I want to move on to the other goodies I've got to share with you this week. So moving on to CPAC, last Saturday, uh, President Trump made a rip-roaring speech at CPAC. Um, and this is a summary or highlights from his speech from Team Trump, which is one of his team members. Um, highlights from President Trump's speech at CPAC 2023. No turning back. We will finish what we started. President Trump had a triumphant return to CPAC on Saturday night, where he put forward his case for his nomination and general election. Speaking to an enthusiastic crowd of conservative grassroots leaders, President Trump recalled all that was accomplished for the movement when he was president, and he laid out his vision for America when he returns to the White House. Declaring that I alone will not retreat, President Trump reminded the crowd that he is the only president in history who has ever taken on the entire corrupt establishment in Washington and asserted that anyone else will be intimidated, bought off, blackmailed or ripped to shreds. President Trump also said that while he faces relentless attacks, he is not the real target. The real target is the people he is standing up for. Our enemies are desperate to stop us because they know that we are the, the only ones who can stop them. They know that we can defeat them. They know that we will defeat them. But they're not coming after me. They're coming after you. And I'm just standing in their way. In 2016, I declared, I am your voice. Today, I add, I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. In vivid language, President Trump signalled at the outset of his speech what his supporters will get, get with him in a second term. With you at my side, we will demolish the deep state. We will expel the warmongers. We will drive out the globalists. We will cast out the communists. We will throw off the political class that hates our country. We will beat the Democrats. We will rout the fake news media. We will expose and appropriately deal with the rhinos. We will evict Joe Biden from the White House and we will liberate America from these villains and scoundrels once and for all. In a rousing battle cry, he then made clear the stakes in 2024. This is the final battle. They know it. I know it. You know it. Everybody knows it. Either they win or we win. And I promise you this, if you put me back in the White House, their reign will be over and America will be a free nation once again. President Trump also underscored how he and his political movement have transformed the Republican Party and that today there is no going back. When we started on this journey, a journey like there has never been before, we had a Republican Party that was ruled by freaks, neocons, globalists and open border zealots and fools. But we are never going back to the party of Paul Ryan, Karl Rove and Jeb Bush. We are never going back to a country ruled by entrenched political dynasties in both parties, rotten special interests, China-loving politicians and a militant left-wing news media that's either frightened of telling the truth or is truly evil and bad. You never know which. We are not going back to this, not now, not ever. President Trump recounted many of his administration's achievements and how they have been reversed by the Biden administration, including standing up strong to China, not starting any new wars thanks to a policy of peace through strength, 
shutting down the illegal foreign invasion on the southern border and establishing the most secure border in history and defending our heroes against the thugs, tearing down statues and pushing critical race theory in our institutions. He went on to describe in great detail what he will do in a second term. War and peace. I am the only candidate who can make this promise. I will prevent World War Three. Border. When I'm back in the White House, the very first reconciliation bill I sign will be for a massive increase in border patrol and a colossal increase in the number of ICE deportation officers. We will use all necessary state, local, federal and military resources to carry out the largest domestic deportation operation in American history. To stop the flow of deadly drugs, it will be my policy to take down the cartels, just as I took down the ISIS caliphate that everybody said was impossible to do. Law and order. In cities where there has been a complete breakdown of public safety, I will send in federal assets, including the National Guard, until law and order is restored. Homelessness. I will end the scourge of homelessness taking over our cities and suburbs. We will take the homeless, drug-addicted and severely deranged, get them off our streets and create tent cities where we will get them the help they so clearly need. Eradicating Marxism from the government. On day one, I will revoke Joe Biden's crazy executive order installing Marxist diversity, equity and inclusion czars in every federal agency. And I will immediately terminate all staffers hired to implement this agenda. I will urge Congress to create a restitution fund for Americans who have been unjustly discriminated against by these Biden policies and we will ban all racial discrimination by the government. Champion of parents' right. I will fight for parents' rights including universal school choice and the direct election of school principals by the parents. If any principal is not getting the job done, the parents should be able to vote to fire them and select someone who will. Promoting patriotic education, continuing the work of the 1776 Commission, we will teach our values and promote our history and our traditions to our children. Protecting our youth, I will revoke every Biden policy promoting the chemical castration and sexual mutilation of our youth and ask Congress to send me a bill prohibiting child sexual mutilation in all 50 states. Protecting women's sports, We will keep men out of women's sports, smashing the censorship cartel. I will destroy the illegal censorship regime and bring back free speech in America. America first trade policy. I will create a true national trade policy like the kind that made America the world's economic powerhouse. Total independence from China. Because economic security is national security, I will revoke China's most favoured nation's trade status. I will implement a four-year plan to phase out all Chinese imports of essential goods and gain total independence from China. China accountability for virus. And I will hold China financially accountable for unleashing the China virus upon the world. Withdraw from WHO, the World Health Organization. I will again withdraw from the WHO, which stands for We Hide Outbreaks. Energy independence. Under my leadership, we'll regain energy independence as we had three years ago. Term limits. I will fight for a constitutional amendment to impose term limits on members of Congress. 
using all lawful tactics to win elections. I will move heaven and earth to fully and finally secure our elections. Our goal will be one day voting with only paper ballots. But until that day comes, Republicans must compete using every lawful means to win, bringing forth a quantum leap in American standard of living. It is not enough just to stop the forces tearing America down. I want once again to build America up. It is time to start talking about greatness for our country again. Our objective will be a quantum leap in the American standard of living, especially for our young people. We will finish what we started. We will cross the finish line. We will dismantle the deep state. We will demolish woke tyranny and we will restore the American Republic to all its radiant glory. So now on to the COVID-19 exposure and it's happening not only here in the US but also in the UK. I'm going to start with an article from Envolve.com. Former CDC head admits Dr Fauci created COVID-19 and lied under oath, there's no doubt. Dr. Robert Redfield, former director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, on Wednesday said he has no doubt the National Institutes of Health, NIH, and Dr. Anthony Fauci funded gain-of-function research that likely resulted in the creation of COVID-19 and its subsequent leak. Redfield made the statement during the first formal hearing of the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic. And a tweet from Robert F. Kennedy Jr., former CDC director Dr. Redfield, there's no doubt that NIH funded gain-of-function research. Maliotakis, is it likely that American tax dollars funded the gain-of-function research that created this virus? Redfield, I think it did, not only from NIH, but from the state. The hearing included testimony related to the lab leak theory as a plausible explanation as the origin of COVID-19 and how the theory was shut down early in the pandemic in favour of narratives that COVID-19 had zoogenic or natural origins. Committee members and witnesses also debated the future of -of gain-of-function research. Other witnesses Wednesday included Jamie Metzel, PhD, JD, Senior Fellow at the Atlantic Council, Nicholas Wade, former New York Times science editor and former deputy editor of Nature, and Paul G. Auerter, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, it's a weird spelling, MD, MBA, Clinical Director in the Division of Infectious Diseases at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. The hearing followed the subcommittee's release of a memo revealing that key NIH figures, including Fauci, helped persuade virologists to to write an influential article squelching the theory that COVID-19 may have leaked from a lab and asserting the virus evolved naturally. The US Department of Energy last month determined SARS-CoV-2 most likely emerged from a laboratory in Wuhan, China, a theory later endorsed by FBI Director Christopher Wray. These developments helped lead to a Senate vote to declassify US intelligence documents on the origins of COVID-19. Gain-of-function research caused the greatest pandemic our world has seen. Some of the witnesses called for gain-of-function research to be slowed down, paused or stopped entirely. 
Redfield testified that the COVID-19 pandemic presents a case study on the potential dangers of such research and said we should call for a moratorium on gain-of-function research until we have a broader debate and we come to a consensus as a community about the value of such research. I think the people that are advocates for gain-of-function research do believe that by doing this research they somehow get ahead of the curve, said Redfield. I'm of the point of view that we don't need to make pathogens more transmissible or more pathogenic in order to get ahead of the curve. He told the subcommittee that as CDC director, he temporarily shut down the U.S. Biological Research Facility at Fort Detrick, Maryland, even though this decision wasn't very popular. Our inspection showed that they were cutting corners in their biosecurity requirements, and so I shut the lab down for four to six months until they corrected their biosecurity, Redfield said. When asked whether gain-of-function research had ever stopped a pandemic, Redfield said no, on the contrary. I think it probably caused the greatest pandemic our world has seen. He said he personally did not see any tangible benefits to gain-of-function research at this time. Orwerter disagreed, telling the committee that a robust public health infrastructure and global coordination are essential for surveillance to identify, track and contain potential threats and called for research capacity improvements to biosafety at, at biosafety level 4 facilities. He added that some types of gain-of-function research can help understand possible human-pathogen interactions, assess the likelihood of an emerging pandemic, and inform preparedness efforts, including surveillance and medical countermeasure developments. Metzl said it would be a grave error if biological research facilities were shut down, but asked, what are the guardrails? In an October 2022 interview with the defender Dr Francis Boyle JD PhD argued that all BSL3 that's biosafety labs and BSL4 labs should be shut down immediately and effectively and that otherwise there is going to be another leak. We don't have a smoking gun yet. Representative Brad Wenstrup from Ohio Republican chair of the subcommittee Open the proceedings by saying we are here today to ask the fundamental question that this body failed to ask three years ago. Where did COVID-19 come from? Wenstrup said that question is fundamental to helping us predict and prevent future pandemics, protecting our health and national security and preparing the United States for the future. He also said the question must be investigated thoroughly, responsibly and honestly, adding, we don't have a smoking gun. In three years, there's been no track found to prove that COVID-19 evolved naturally from an animal or a mammal or a tick to become highly infectious to humans. The truth is, we don't know the origins of COVID-19 yet for sure. Ranking member Representative Paul Ruiz, Democrat, California, however, described the hearing as a concerning step down the path of letting extremism get in the way of inquiry that should be led by science and facts, stating that evidence regarding the origins of COVID-19 remains inconclusive. We must allow our scientists and intelligence communities to gather evidence without politicisation, extreme partisan rhetoric or conspiratorial accusations that vilify our nation's public health experts, Ruiz said. 
Metzl said that getting to this point has required a great deal of effort by a small but tireless, self-motivated and highly capable community of experts from around the world who have refused to be bullied into silence. It looked like this virus was engineered. When Strupp, as part of his opening statement, lent support to theories that COVID-19 was engineered and subsequently leaked from a lab. The genome of COVID-19 is inconsistent with expectations and is unique for its group of viruses, he said, adding that it has unique characteristics that are optimised for human cells and which made it very infectious to humans. Wade, who has written extensively on the issue of COVID-19's origins, told the committee that if the virus had emerged naturally, it should have left many telltale signs in the environment, but none have appeared yet, despite the Chinese government's keen interest in finding them. Without such evidence, the natural origins idea has grown steadily weaker, Wade said. Redfield testified that since his initial analysis of the data early in the pandemic, I came to believe and I still believe today that it indicates COVID-19 more likely was the result of an accidental lab leak than a result of a natural spillover event. He based his view on the biology of the virus, its high infectivity for human-to-human transmission, and on unusual actions in and around Wuhan in the fall of 2019. It looked like this virus was engineered, said Redfield. We know the Wuhan Institute of Virology was conducting gain-of-function research on novel coronaviruses. According to Wade, this work was being conducted under seriously inadequate safety conditions and we know that viruses escape from labs all the time. Clearly, lab leak has to be a strong possibility. All four witnesses agreed the lab leak theory is not a conspiracy, with Orwater, the sole witness called in by the Democratic minority, adding that it has been approached as such. The witnesses also uniformly agreed there was insufficient evidence available in early 2020 to dismiss the theory outright. Redfield noted that not only was this theory nevertheless dismissed by many scientists and the media early in the pandemic, but its proponents were also attacked. The most upsetting thing to me was the Baltimore Sun calling me a racist because I said this came from a Wuhan lab, Redfield said. Single narrative on COVID origins antithetical to science. Addressing the document memo released Sunday by the subcommittee, Wenstrup said it highlights new evidence that suggests Fauci promoted the drafting of a publication that would disprove the lab leak theory and that evidence was skewed to achieve this goal. The publication in question is a March 2020 article in Nature Medicine, The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2, which assured the public that the virus genome demonstrated an origin in wildlife. Hundreds of news organisations cited the article to assert that the lab leak theory was a conspiracy theory. Why did Dr Fauci work so hard for just one of those theories? Representative Jim Jordan, Republican Ohio, asked, referring to the natural origins theory. Wade testified that the campaign to discredit the lab leak began on the evening of January 31st, 2020, when Fauci received an email from four virologists who concluded that COVID-19 could not have been made in nature. Fauci was probably not too pleased to hear that the virus might have escaped from research that his agency funded, said Wade. 
A strange thing happened to the virologist's conclusion within four days, he added, noting that they suddenly changed their minds, even though no new evidence materialised during this time. According to Jordan, there's nine million reasons why they changed their mind, pointing out that three months after their about-face, the four scientists received a nine million dollar grant from Fauci. Jordan said the subcommittee likely will call the authors of the paper to testify. Redfield noted that while he had been in communication with Fauci in January 2020, he was then excluded from further calls discussing the origins of COVID-19, even though he was CDC director at the time. I was quite upset as the CDC director that I was excluded from those discussions, Redfield said. He said he believed he was excluded because he had a different point of view. I was told they made a decision that they would keep this confidential until they came up with a single narrative, which I will argue is antithetical to science, said Redfield. Science never selects a single narrative. When you have a group of people that decide there can only be one point of view, that's problematic, Redfield said. They squashed any debate. Addressing the Proximal Origins paper, Redfield described it as an inaccurate paper that basically was part of the narrative they were creating. Redfield also told the committee there's no doubt that NIH was funding gain-of-function research and that the research also received funding from the U.S. State Department, the U.S. Department of Defense and the U.S. Agency for International Development. Wade testified that the media was then used to establish the natural origin theory. If the evidence for lab leak is so strong, why do so many people still believe the virus came from nature? The reason is that the natural origin camp got its story out first, always a big help. It very successfully painted lab leak as a conspiracy theory before anyone had publicly proposed it. The national media swallowed the natural origin story unskeptically and once committed to it, failed to report important contrary evidence. Journalists in particular, it seems to me, failed on their job by failing to check out the virologist's self-serving claims. These pressures extended to the academic and scientific community, according to Metzl. He testified that all of the members of that community were aggressively trying to place scientific papers with journals and had zero success. So there was a wall that was extremely difficult to get over. Metzl added, when a small handful of us in the earliest days of the pandemic began raising the possibility of a possible lab origin, there were ferociously strong headwinds. There was this manufactured consensus. I'm a lifelong Democrat. I consider myself a progressive person, but I kept digging. I couldn't find the justification for these strong arguments calling people like me investigating, looking into pandemic origins in good faith, conspiracy theorists. Orwerter said there's no consensus yet about the virus's origins and that many virologists believe compelling evidence points to an animal origin. He added that it is entirely possible that the origins of COVID-19 will never be conclusively determined. Committee may call Fauci to testify. Several of the witnesses criticised the delayed investigation into the pandemic's origins and the lack of a bipartisan investigative committee.
It is inconceivable that over three years after this deadly pandemic began, no comprehensive and unfettered investigation into pandemic origins has been carried out, nor is one currently planned, Metzl said. This injustice is an insult to every victim of this crisis and a clear threat to future generations. Metzl blamed obstruction by the Chinese government as the primary reason there has been no comprehensive investigation into COVID-19, saying that it has destroyed samples, hidden records, imprisoned brave Chinese journalists, gagged Chinese scientists and actively spread misinformation. However, he added that it is also necessary to carefully examine our own behaviour and that of our friends and allies. Metzl called for establishing a bipartisan U.S. national COVID-19 commission to examine the origins issue as well as other failings and shortcomings, suggesting it could be modelled after the 9-11 commission. Orwerter agreed that an independent body would make the most sense, while Redfield said the answer ultimately will come from the intelligence community, adding his view that declassification is very important. Wenstrup said the subcommittee sent letters of inquiry to several government departments and key figures, including Fauci, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the White House, in addition to letters sent recently to the respective heads of the U.S. State Department, FBI and DOE. This is a national security issue. This is a national health issue, said Wenstrup adding, discovering the origins is vital, it matters for the future of the world and we aren't finished, we're just beginning. There will be more hearings and more inquiries and more documents discovered and we will follow every lead. I'd also like to remind you on that front that, of course, we had that expose by um, James O'Keefe of X of Project Veritas um, with the... Pfizer executive saying that they in effect were doing gain of function research so they could you know get the jump on new vaccine so we know it's it goes on and of course the Russians have exposed the bio labs in Ukraine as well um, Jim Jordan is actually talking about um, filing criminal charges against Fauci for lying to Congress. So we'll see how that plays out. Now, as far as the UK situation is concerned, there's been an absolute uproar since a bunch of WhatsApp messages were leaked that involved Matt Hancock, who is the former Secretary of Health or Minister of Health. And this was reported on by The Independent in UK, although I have to say The Independent isn't really independent. They do tend to be rather left-wing. Anyway, Matt Hancock wanted to frighten the pants off public about COVID strain, leaked messages show. Latest messages show ex-health secretary was worried Rishi Sunak's Eat Out to Help Out scheme was contributing to the spread of COVID. Matt Hancock told aides he wanted to frighten the pants off everyone about the Kent variant of COVID to ensure compliance with lockdown rules leaked messages have revealed. The latest set of WhatsApp exchanges show the then Health Secretary and others discussing how to use an announcement about the variant to scare the public into changing their behaviour. 
The messages among 100,000 passed to the Telegraph by journalist Isabel Oakeshott show Cabinet Secretary Simon Case suggested in January 2021 that the fear factor would be vital. They also show Mr Hancock's repeated concerns that the then-Chancellor Rishi Sunak's signature Eat Out to Help Out initiative was contributing to the spread of COVID. Mr Sunak and Mr Hancock were revealed to have complained about Dominic Cummings' nightmare tenure as Boris Johnson's top adviser at number 10. The latest messages show that in December 2020 there was concern London Mayor Sadiq Khan would, could follow the example of Greater Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham who had clashed with the government over the decision to impose stringent lockdown curbs. Mr Hancock's adviser said, rather than doing too much forward signalling, we can roll pitch with the new strain. The then health secretary responded, we frighten the pants off everyone with the new strain. So I'm not going to go any further into this because I do want to get onto the January 6 files. But, you know, basically it's what we've been saying all along, that they were trying to control people just by scaring them to death. So now on to January 6th, and it's been quite amazing to watch what's um, played out this week. And it started on Monday, the 6th of March, with Tucker releasing the first of the January 6th videos. And basically was contradicting the narrative from the Unselect Committee and really exposing how they had created this propagandist narrative that concealed a lot of the real story from the public. And interestingly, there was um, Naomi Wolf, who does have a a Substack channel. She actually posted an article apologising for swallowing the narrative of the select or the media, really, uh, because that was before the unselect committee and how she'd fallen for the lies. Well, it's a pity as a, a journalist, she didn't actually question it. Seems to me that anybody watching how it played out could see the way this was orchestrated as a setup. And of course, you know, the people on the left have their heads have been exploding over this and trying to shut Tucker Carlson down. And even McConnell, uh, who is um, the minority leader in the Senate, joined in with Chuck Schumer in condemning the release of the tapes. I mean, it's unbelievable. Anyway, let me get on with the story. And this is from Red State. The real problem with Tucker Carlson's January 6th footage. This was from March 8th, so Wednesday. On Tuesday, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell joined congressional colleagues like Chuck Schumer in condemning Fox News's Tucker Carlson for releasing and framing footage from the January 6th, 2021 events at the Capitol. McConnell said his take on the issue is aligned with that of the U.S. Capitol Police chief. He did not appreciate Carlson playing other video that showed peaceful protesters being escorted into the Capitol by police, given tours and generally left alone to wander peacefully as they snapped photos and even prayed in the chambers. 
It was a mistake, in my view, for Fox News to depict this in a way that is completely at variance with what our chief law enforcement official here at the Capitol thinks. My colleague Terry Christoph noted an issue with his statement that made me holler, Mitch, please, what if the truth is hiding somewhere in that variance? McConnell's lack of curiosity about the truth could be the sign of an old man who spent far too much time in D.C., It is the use of the word depict that ruffles my feathers. I find it to be a very telling word. According to Merriam-Webster dictionary, the word depict means to represent by or as if by a picture or to describe. It is word for telling a story and oral stories have a storyteller. McConnell may have thought he was simply saying he thinks the Capitol protests were a very bad thing. But I heard what he and so many others like him really thinks. He means he didn't like the story Tucker Carlson was telling with the new footage. The story already had its tellers. The story had already been framed. The story had already been written. How dare Carlson come in with rewrites? Who approved him to retell the story? And isn't that the big takeaway here? McConnell basically admitted that the January 6th footage we've been seeing for two years is really a story and not an objective set of facts. If it had been just the facts, there wouldn't be any controversy about the new footage being released. It never would have been secret in the first place. Like old Twitter threatening to benevolently add context to Trump's tweets for the benefit of their incurious audience, McConnell and company have decided for the rest of us how January 6, 2021 at the US Capitol should be viewed and observed. It was such a benign but chilling word in this context, depict. The truth shall set you free. If that is more than a cliché, we'll know what story to believe by how free it makes us. I'm not saying that there weren't some bad actors at the Capitol that day. I'm not saying that the Tucker Carlson narrative is the narrative of the day. What I am saying is that one depiction has ended with a lot of innocent people in jail unfree, as it were, and has depended on keeping video evidence out of the hands of the general public. The other narrative opens up the evidence and the conversation. The other narrative would probably have resulted in way fewer jail sentences had it been available to the public. We should always be leery of men who tell us knowing things is bad for us. McConnell's comments are the comments of a gatekeeper. He could have supported the values of free speech and transparency while still saying he disagreed with the new story. Instead, he complained about the storyteller and the fact that anyone else gets to tell a piece of the story at all. And that is scary as hell. So yes, they don't like this change in the narrative and Epoch Times reports newly released surveillance footage challenges official January 6th narrative. List of troubling questions from January 6th keeps growing as more video is made public. The unveiling of some of the 41,000 hours of video from January 6, 2021 that was hidden from public view for more than two years has sparked a new national conversation about just how much still isn't known about the capital incursion. Fox News host Tucker Carlson was given exclusive access by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican California, to US Capitol security videos and other footage, most of it hidden from public view. 
If Carlson's first broadcast special on the footage that aired on March 6th is any indication, the prevailing January 6th narrative is on life support, and the day's legacy of troubling questions continues to deepen as a result. Through the news media, the public has had limited access to the nearly 4.7 years' worth of video captured by security cameras, police body cams and videos taken by tens of thousands of January 6th protesters. Much of it, however, has been hidden under a judicial protective order. It's unclear if Congress, as the custodian of Capitol Police security video, provided its entire collection of January 6th video to the Department of Justice. Prosecutors have for more than a year referred to 14,000 hours of video used in the prosecution of alleged January 6th crimes. Well before Carlson envisioned this, his highly watched March 6th to 7th specials, Defence attorneys on January 6th criminal cases complain that video and other evidence beneficial to their clients have not been disclosed by the government as required under Supreme Court rulings. With Carlson's revelations about the QAnon shaman, Jacob Chansley, and mysterious January 6th figure Ray Epps, the cries from defence attorneys about exculpatory evidence will likely increase in the coming weeks and months. Since January 6th was arguably the most photographed and videoed event in recorded history, the truth about the day should be easy to discern. But the massive digital evidence cache has been tightly controlled and even manipulated to great effect upon public opinion. Unfettered public access to all of the video, if it is granted, and uh, spoiler here, McCarthy has actually promised to release all the video to the public once it's been checked against kind of security requirements. Hmm, carrying on will crack the legacy media narrative even more and widen the political divide in America. What follows is an overview of the myriad issues that the 41,000 hours of video will most likely impact. Failure of leadership in evacuation. The evacuation of the US Senate and US House on January 6 provides perhaps the clearest case of how security video can define a critical story. In Carlson's second Capitol video special on March 7th, he will tell the story of US Capitol Police Lieutenant Tarek Johnson, who said he was left without direction on January 6th by Assistant Capitol Police Chief Yogananda Pittman. After taking to the radio to ask for permission to evacuate the Senate, Johnson got no response. Even after the USCP dispatcher repeated Johnson's call for direction, there was silence from the command centre. Johnson forged ahead with the evacuation and went on to direct the evacuation of the House. He said on the radio that he would take any discipline for acting on his own. The segment on Tucker Carlson tonight will be based in part on investigative reporting by the Epoch Times, which told Johnson's story in January. There was no response from anybody at the command centre, Johnson told the Epoch Times. I say, even before I initiated evacuation, I say specifically, we've got to start thinking about getting the people out before we don't have a chance to. I heard no response. Then I asked for permission to evacuate. I heard no response. Johnson said the command centre's silence caused the loss of precious time that might have prevented the shooting death of protester Ashley Babbitt at about 
2.45pm on January 6th. Johnson became known to much of America as the Capitol Police Lieutenant who wore a bright red Make America Great Again ball cap while he worked with a pair of Oath Keepers to rescue 16 USCP officers trapped in the foyer inside the massive Columbus doors. Johnson was suspended by the USCP and later accused of rules violations, including conduct unbecoming, for wearing the Trump hat and working with the Oath Keepers on the office res- officer rescue. He said he believes those charges were actually brought because the evacuations and other split-second leadership decisions he made embarrassed Pittman. Police actions raise questions. Carlson aired Capitol security video showing Capitol Police leading the QAnon shaman around the building and letting him into the U.S. Senate, where he posed on the rostrum and made a speech. Many other aspects of police presence and behaviour on January 6th have already drawn scrutiny and critique. Probably the most graphic example is that of Metropolitan Police Department Officer Daniel Thau, who was like a one-man army on the west front of the capital during the mid-afternoon of January 6th. Body cam footage from several Metropolitan Police Department officers show Thau dropped at least four protesters with a taser, tossed uncounted explosive munitions into the tightly packed crowd, directed high-velocity pepper spray into a stiff headwind, and fired a 40mm shell from a munition launcher into the crowd. His own body cam shows him rushing up to another officer under the inauguration scaffolding and shouting, we need more expletive munitions. After being possibly the most active officer in applying pain compliance to the crowds, Thau concluded that the strategy did not work. He told another officer the effort was like shooting zombies and declared we're multiplying them by shooting them. Police use of force became a hotly debated topic, at least in the public square. Metropolitan Police declared all of its uses of force on January 6 to be justified. Use of force expert Stan Kephart, commenting in the July 2022 Epoch Times documentary, The Real Story of January 6, begged to differ. Kephart said crowd control grenades, rubber bullets, crowd dispersal shells and chemicals were misused by police on January 6th. A gas grenade launched by MPD officer Rich Curry at the urging of Thau misfired, landing amid a crowd of supervisors and officers. The resulting gas cloud sent police scurrying and weakened the nearby police line. At nearly the same time, Officer Anthony Alioto tossed a CS gas canister into the crowd from above. A protester threw it back just in time for it to dislodge its payload of chemical irritant. That drove officers into the capital and led to the crowd surging up the stairs to the lower west terrace. One man who knows it all too well is Mark Griffin of Canadensis, Pennsylvania, who was shot with a 37mm munition shell at nearly point-blank range on the afternoon of January 6th. Griffin was standing at the police barricades on the West Front, explaining to a young MPD officer why he and so many others came to Washington. Then he was blown to the ground by a shell that impacted above his left knee, splitting his femur and necessitating surgeries that he said cost $250,000. I went down and some people helped me up, 
Griffin told the Epoch Times. I had no idea how bad I got hurt. Crowd control shells are typically not for close quarters use and should never be fired directly at a person, Kephart said. Firing the weapons close to people can lead to serious injury or death, according to manufacturers' warnings. Griffin said he hopes the release of CCTV security video from the Capitol exterior will pinpoint which police officer fired the shot that shattered his leg. Derek Vargo had climbed up the stone railing with balusters in an effort to hang his Donald Trump flag from the side of the Capitol staircase on January 6th. He ducked the baton swings from one police officer, but when he stood up, a U.S. Capitol Police motorcycle officer's push sent him flailing to the ground below. He knows exactly where he was on that Capitol building. You know, he works there, Vargo told the Epoch Times. He's not just a citizen. He works there. He knows how high up he is. He shoved me, not with just one arm, but two. That means he wanted me off of it. It was very intentional. Vargo suffered a fractured ankle and extensive midfoot injuries that required multiple surgeries to repair. Surgeons used a screw to hold his fractured ankle together. Plates and screws were used to repair two toes and midfoot bones that suffered a Lisfranc fracture and dislocation. For more than a year, there has been growing speculation that undercover agents and police officers took active roles in the rioting while encouraging protesters to go into the Capitol. Bobby Powell, then a radio journalist from Michigan, filmed a man he said was an undercover agent pulling a large seat of tempered glass out of a window on the patio near the Columbus doors. The man had earlier approached Powell and asked him why he didn't take advantage of the already smashed window and enter the Capitol. When Powell turned away and spun back around, his camera caught the man pulling out the glass and dropping it in a heap on the ground. And incidentally, in this photograph, this guy's dressed in a black jacket. He's got a black face covering and what appears to be a radio attached to his jacket. So it does make it rather suspicious. Powell also encountered another man dressed in tactical gear, holding open the Columbus doors with a long wooden dowel and shoving people into the foyer leading to the Great Rotunda. Neither the glass man nor the doorman ever appeared on the FBI's January 6th Most Wanted website. Powell spent a frustrating two years trying to get the FBI and the media to notice his video. The article goes on to quite a few examples of suspicious characters. Um, it mentions Ray Epps, who was on a viral video from January 5th, urging protesters to go into, into the Capitol the next day. And Carlson claimed that Epps lied to the January 6th Select Committee investigations about what time he left the Capitol grounds. Uh, he texted his nephew at 2.12pm and said he orchestrated the protest. He told the committee he was no longer at the Capitol when the text was sent. Carlson said security video he found shows Epps on one of the West Terraces a half hour after that. I don't have time to go through the whole of the rest of the article, but, you know, just to remind you, um, we've got the QAnon shaman shown to have been escorted into the um, Senate by the Capitol Police, about nine of them, none of whom attempted to arrest him or remove him from the building. We've got the 
story about Officer Sickmick having been killed by protesters on the day, being being refuted by one of the other videos that Carlson showed. It showed him alive and well in the Capitol building after he was supposedly murdered by somebody wielding a fire extinguisher. There's been another video released um, today or late yesterday um, of QAnon Shaman standing by the doors after leaving the Senate building, talking to the crowd, reading them the tweet that Donald Trump sent saying, go home, it's time to, you know, go home and go home peacefully or words to that effect, which of course was immediately deleted by Twitter, who um, basically suspended or removed Trump's account because, you know, that didn't align with this idea of him um, causing an insurrection. We also have a growing number of January 6 defendants asking judges to delay the trials in the light of newly released footage, and they were denied uh, footage that would provide exculpatory evidence and even more horrifying is that the FBI were caught ordering the destruction of evidence in the Proud Boys January 6th sedition trial and this has been reported by Envolve and I don't have time to go through it but the the trial has actually be halt, been halted by the judge in view of this and it says that there were 338 items of evidence that FBI Special Agent Nicole Miller revealed she was ordered by her boss to destroy. And in a tweet from Julie Kelly, she sums it up. More confirmation here about FBI agent who lied on the stand yesterday and concealed evidence, admitted fabricating evidence and following orders to destroy hundreds of items of evidence. And not only that, but apparently the FBI were listening in on the defendants and their attorneys' conversations, which, again, is completely criminal. And just a mention of a couple of other things before I finish. We've got this SVB bank collapse in California. It's Silicon Valley Bank. And people are predicting that this is going to cause a recession. Uh, Celia Farber on Substack had a bit of a dig because people are laughing at Meghan Markle and, and Harry that they have got the proceeds from his book on in the bank, millions in the bank, and they're likely to lose it, most of it, because the FDC only insures up to a quarter of a million. So people are saying, well, this is karma, perhaps. And on the subject of the royal family, there's also been some hilarity about King Charles, sorry, refusing to pay the £32,000 that Prince Andrew has been paying for a, an in-residence yoga teacher. And there have been quite a few quips about whether, you know, this is another young girl that uh, he's got in residence. Considering his involvement with Virginia Gouffray, one of Epstein's victims, and he settled with her on his on the civil case to the tune of several million pounds. So he's also a figure of ridicule. 
So that's all I have time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll join me for another Cosmic Creating show next Saturday. I'm sure there'll be lots and lots more to share with you. Thank you to Nancy Hopkins for producing and to Derek Condit for being the sponsor of Cosmic Reality Radio. And please visit his website at mysticalwares.com. It's got some wonderful products there, shungite, crystals and other metaphysical items. So until next time, stay well, be safe and bye for now. You've been listening to Radio 5G, a production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you for listening.